Eddie Mayer on LBC. At five o'clock, much more on Sue Gray and the police. Right now, it's a quarter to five. It's Friday, it's LBC, it's Simon Marks' American Week. Eddie, you wouldn't know it from anyone in the US government, but yesterday there were more than 3,000 COVID-19 deaths in the United States. This week alone, there have been nearly 18,000 American deaths from the virus. 18,000 in a single week. That is six times the death toll resulting from the Al-Qaeda attacks of September the 11th, 2001. We haven't seen COVID numbers like it for a year, and the curve is still on an upward trajectory. It puts the U.S. firmly on track to notch up its one millionth COVID-19 death in around 12 weeks' time, just as the daffodils poke their noses through the soil on America's east coast. From President Biden this week... Oh, yes, I forgot. He hasn't said a solitary word about it. He now leaves all of that to his COVID-19 response team, headed by Jeff Zients, a public health advisor who bears an uncanny resemblance to Virgil Tracy on Thunderbirds, especially during the weekly COVID briefings when he sits puppet-like behind an absolutely massive desk. We have more tools widely available for the American people than ever before vaccines and booster shots, convenient testing options, free high-quality masks, and effective treatments. We remain laser-focused on deploying these tools to help protect people and to keep schools and businesses open. Laser-focused, just not on the death toll. Mr. Zients' career was forged in Washington during the Obama administration. Not for nothing was that president referred to here as no drama Obama. Certainly the message from the Biden health czar this week could not have been less dramatic. Our tools are working, even in the face of a highly transmissible variant. And we continue to move toward a time when COVID won't disrupt our daily lives, a time when COVID is no longer a crisis, but rather something we protect against and treat. Sounds great. Can't wait to get there. It is worth saying that the availability of rapid tests, at least in Washington, has notably improved. You can now pick them up daily from public libraries across the city, for which Mayor Muriel Bowser deserves credit, even if it did take nearly two years to get there. The financial markets can't decide what to make of any of this. They have been yo-yoing like crazy all week. GDP numbers showed the U.S. economy grew at nearly 7% in the last quarter of last year, boosting hopes of a recovery. But then the International Monetary Fund chucked a bucket of cold water all over that, trimming America's growth forecast to 4% for this year and saying the Omicron variant and the president's inability to get his Build Back Better initiative passed by Congress will constrain America's recovery. At the White House yesterday, the president was measured about the outlook. The economic plan we uh, began with uh, in this administration uh, has shown some real results. We've had the strongest job growth on record, the largest decline in unemployment on record, the strongest small business growth in a long time, and the strongest economic growth in 40 years. But we face some real challenges. Now, what he wants more than anything else is to be given the time necessary to focus on those challenges. But Vladimir Putin is not going to give him that breathing space. Twelve months ago, Joe Biden was determined he would not let the Russian leader distract him from addressing America's urgent domestic priorities. 
but 100,000 Russian troops nestled on the country's border with Ukraine has a habit of concentrating the presidential mind, as the Russian leader surely knows. We've always said we would reinforce our allies on the eastern flank. In fact, we've never uh, ruled out the option of providing assistance, additional assistance in advance of an invasion. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki announcing on Monday that the U.S. was placing 8,500 troops on standby to deploy to the Baltic states and Eastern Europe amid fears that a Russian invasion of Ukraine was imminent. Uh, while we can't get into the mind uh, of President Putin, we are seeing the preparations that they're making at the border. We have been very clear, and the president has been direct, that military action by Russia could come at any one at any time. At the Pentagon, things were swinging into high gear. Spokesman John Kirby underscoring that the troops are not leaving the U.S. yet on that deployment, but that President Biden won't hesitate to authorize their transport the second it becomes necessary. Uh, it's very clear that the Russians have uh, uh, no intention right now of de-escalating, uh, and because uh, not every one of these units that we are notifying are in, all, all of them are not in a heightened state of alert. Uh, it may prudent sense for the secretary to want to give them as much time to prepare to be on a shorter tether uh, as he can, just in case. The U.S. spent the week shuttling fresh lethal aid to Ukraine. That's Washington speak for weapons that can kill people. 80 tons of anti-tank missiles arrived there midweek. Another shipment is expected to head to Ukraine soon. The Germans, by contrast, sent 5,000 helmets, presumably because they're still searching underneath the couch cushions for a few spare tins of spam. So much for the total unanimity in the US and European approaches to Ukraine that President Biden claims. Today, Ambassador Sullivan delivered our written response in Moscow. On Wednesday, Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced that the U.S. had finally delivered the homework that the Kremlin has demanded for weeks, written responses to Moscow's security demands. The document we've delivered includes concerns of the United States and our allies and partners about Russia's actions that undermine security, a principled and pragmatic evaluation of the concerns that Russia has raised, and our own proposals for areas where we may be able to find common ground. Yesterday, the deputy headmaster at the Kremlin, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, sniffed that the document was disappointing. Overnight, he must have read some more of it, because today he proclaimed that it contained some grains of rationality. The door is open, then, for more talks. And time exists for all of us to focus on the enemy within. Why is it disloyal to side with Russia but loyal to side with Ukraine. They're both foreign countries that don't care anything about the United States. Kind of strange. Fox News primetime host Tucker Carlson, one of America's most watched cable anchors, who this week went full Lord Haw Haw. His backing of Vladimir Putin's government not only flies in the face of decades of orthodox Republican thought. You may remember Ronald Reagan telling Mikhail Gorbachev to tear down the Berlin Wall or America going to the mat over the Soviet Union's repression of human rights. It also raises questions about Mr. Carlson's motivations as he mocks the Biden administration. Vladimir Putin is our most dangerous enemy, they scream. We can't let him hurt Ukraine. Russia, 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 Russia is bad. A 
apparently Ukraine's eastern border with Russia, unlike, say, our southern border with Mexico, is a sacred boundary created by God that must be protected at all costs up to and including American lives. Even the Kremlin this week became embarrassed by that performance. Russian state television suggesting Mr. Carlson had gone so far in his defense of the Kremlin that it might threaten his credibility. The Fox News host denied in an interview with the New York Times that he's a paid Russian agent. I've never been to Russia. I don't speak Russian, he told them. So that certainly puts that fear to rest. I've raised this with some of my Republican colleagues in the last few days. And and they they say, what? I didn't know that. Uh, they pretend it's not happening. Congressman Tom Malinowski, a Democrat from New Jersey, speaking on CNN, a former State Department and National Security Council official. He says Tucker Carlson's broadcasts are now having a real impact as his offices field calls from furious constituents saying they oppose the Biden administration's confrontation with the Kremlin. You know, we have such a partisan media environment where there are some people who only watch people like Tucker Carlson and that's all they get night after night after night and he's whipped them up into believing we're going to war which is as you just reported not the case we're not President Biden is not promising to fight for Ukraine we're just taking the side of a democracy that is being threatened with invasion by a dictatorship. It will come as no surprise that other Russia boosters drowning out the facts include a man by the name of Trump. In this case, Donald Trump Jr. appearing on Sean Hannity's Fox News program this week. I get to read reports saying that intelligence is saying that Russians may be launching a cyber attack on America. I don't think so. I imagine that's our people lying to us to try to instigate us getting into another war to distract from the incompetence. Do you think our posture in Ukraine has anything to do with his corrupt son raking in millions over the year, and this is the way to cover it up? More lies in 25 seconds than you can possibly count. There are a growing number of voices here publicly asking Rupert Murdoch why he allows his blowtorch news channel in America to be used on a daily basis to spread misinformation. Alex Berenson is a conspiracy theorist banned from Twitter for the nonsense he spouts about COVID-19 vaccines. And yet Tucker Carlson willingly gave him a platform on Tuesday night. These mRNA vaccines, the mRNA COVID vaccines need to be withdrawn from the market now. No one should get them. No one should get boosted. No one should get double boosted. They are a dangerous and ineffective product at this point. It is important to underscore that these are now the dominant voices that Republican voters hear day after day, night after night. On Fox and a host of other right-wing television channels, on right-wing talk radio, and of course, through their Facebook and other social media feeds. Moderate Republicans have disappeared. They've gone to ground, many of them planning to retire from Congress later this year, ceding control of the party to the radicals who were mainstreamed during the Trump presidency. There was a moment at the White House this week that almost served as an elegy for what America has lost. I think he's a model public servant in a time of great division in this country. 
Justice Breyer has been everything his country could have asked of him. President Biden speaking yesterday as he announced the retirement of Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer, one of the three remaining Democrat-appointed judges on the nine-member court. In the weeks ahead, President Biden says he will make history and appoint a black woman to fill the seat that 83-year-old Justice Breyer will vacate. There will be an intensity of focus on her battle, whoever she turns out to be, to secure Senate confirmation. But yesterday, the floor was just Of course, people don't agree. But we have a country that is based on human rights, democracy and so forth. But I'll tell you what Lincoln thought, what Washington thought and what people today still think. It's an experiment. It's an experiment. That's what they said. We are now engaged in a great civil war to determine whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. And I say, well, I want you, and I'm talking to the students now. I say, I want you to pick just this up. It's an experiment that's still going on. You know who will see whether that experiment works? It's you, my friend. It's you, Mr. High School student. It's you, Mr. College student. It's you, Mr. Law School students. It's us, but it's you. He says he's an optimist, but he told that White House gathering that every American will have to do their bit to win what he characterised there as an ongoing civil war. Part of that war this week was waged over some unusual digital terrain. Regular listeners of American Week will recall that we have on occasion dipped into the Joe Rogan Experience, a podcast produced for Spotify in which the eponymous host spouts a variety of conspiracy theorist talking points that are heard by... 11 million listeners a week if you're like 21 years old and you say to me should i get vaccinated i I go no if you're if you're a healthy person and you're exercising all the time and you're young and you're eating well and like i don't think you need to worry about this after that edition of his program last year he got covid19 and announced that he was treating himself with ivermectin the horse dewormer that has been thoroughly debunked as an effective cure for the virus this week the singer-songwriter neil young had had enough he told spotify that the company could have joe rogan on their books or his iconic music but not both. Spotify, having signed a $100 million contract with Mr. Rogan, decided to hang on to him. So Neil Young's music is gone from the platform. So many subscribers have tried to cancel their Spotify accounts here that the company's customer service department was overwhelmed yesterday. And Apple Music is already advertising itself as a home for Mr. Young's back catalogue. America is beautiful, but she has an ugly side. We're looking for a leader in this country far and wide. The quest for a leader, as Mr. Young noted in that 2020 song urging voters to turf Donald Trump out of the White House, is not easy. And it's far from clear that the current occupant of the Oval Office entirely fits the bill. But for the moment, Joe Biden is all the country has got. Unless, Eddie, the search begins all over again. We're looking for a leader with a great spirit on his side. Looking for a leader in this country for... Simon Marks's American Week back next Friday at a quarter to five.
This is LBC. I'm Eddie Mayer.